Can you hear me? Brilliant. Let me put this over here. So, just to explain where we're at at the moment. Sorry, do I need it a bit closer? Is that all right? That's fine? Yep. It's just you going deaf, my darling. In your old age, my sweetheart. We are now three Sundays into our currently short series, four Sunday series on the Trinity. What is the Trinity? The Bible declares God as not just one unified figure, but as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, three persons. Don't try and get your head around it, because if you could, you'd be God. That's the point. We're just little humans. But Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God, not three gods, one God. It's not mathematics, one God. It's unity, one God. Do you remember what I said to you last time? Don't explain the Trinity Embrace the Trinity. When we embrace our understanding of what God is, who God is, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, it unlocks scripture, it explains why we're here, it explains creation, it explains salvation and rescue, it explains our mission and our purpose and our identity here on earth and what's to come in the future as well. It explains our security, it explains unity, it explains community, it explains why we love and yearn for intimacy and relationship. It's all built into the fact that God is three persons and always has been. Don't explain the Trinity, embrace the Trinity. Good, well done. Today, uh, sorry, the first week was about three weeks ago now, wasn't it? I was sharing on just an overview of of that, effectively, the overflowing love of the Trinity. And last week, I wasn't here. We were skiving, we were camping, weren't we? We had a lovely time. The weather was all right. And last week, Dave shared on Holy Spirit, life-giving spirit. Today, I'm going to look at Father. And in two weeks' time, after Family Zone journey, we'll look at the given Son, Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his Son. It's always about the Trinity is always giving. The Trinity is generous. is a generous God. Today, I want to look at Father. I've not just called it God as Father. I've called it Extravagant Father, because he's not just any old dad. Trouble is, sometimes, I'll be reflecting on this a little bit later on, but sometimes our earthly understanding of what a father looks like can seriously mar who he is in a big way. And we need to understand he is an extravagant father in every which way. Anybody struggled with trying to get your head around him as father, relating to him as father? Sometimes I find it's a bit of an abstract notion, really. I'm praying to father, but I'm not sitting in his lap or necessarily coming to him every time I'm upset. I don't always get in the habit of that. It's God, and it feels a bit of a disconnect sometimes. And... I can know what the Bible has to say. I can know the truths, but as Derek said before, there's a long journey between here and here. It might only be 12 inches, but it takes forever for truths to sink in and make, them, make their purposes known in our hearts. But fatherhood is a subject that is personal to all of us. We've all had dads, or we've all missed dads for whatever reason, for, through fault of their own or not through fault of their own. But we all have personal experiences, a myriad. Every one of us has got a different, unique experience of what fatherhood is like. And for some of us who've become dads as well, what fatherhood is like. Who's who's still got the L plates on as a dad? (laughs) I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. (laughs) Okay. This is a subject that's personal to us, but there's, there's also a reason why it has such an impact on us. When we understand God as father, even earthly fathers have such a massive positive or negative influence on us in a massive way. And in similar but even bigger, understanding God as Father impacts us in a massive way. 
earthly fathers affect us. If you look through Steven Spielberg's career, you can see two halves to his film career. See his early films, films like Hook or Indiana Jones, probably the third Indiana Jones, or uh, Close Encounters, or E.T. in particular, there are a lot of absent fathers or fathers who are negligent, who aren't doting on their kids and giving the, their kids the time or the effort or the, or the intention that they require. And this is, a lot of this is because, and Spielberg would say this himself, his dad was a workaholic, hardly ever saw him, and then his parents divorced when he was 19. And even at that age, Spielberg was so affected by it, it affected the stories he created. And a lot of father figures were anything but heroes. They were either negligent or they're absolutely absent from the family. E.T., there's no dad in the family. And this is Spielberg's understanding of earthly, uh, his earthly father and his experience has affected how he creates art. You look at the second half of his career, last 20 years or so, you look at films like um, Catch Me If You Can, War of the Worlds is a good one, even Lincoln recently, dads are present and they are elevated to almost heroic levels. Because later in life, Spielberg and his dad got reunited and reconciled, and their relationship's good now. And without even realising, it's affected his storytelling. Earthly figures affect us, and sometimes we don't even realise how or why or when. Active fathers are proven to have a massive positive influence on behavioural problems in boys and psychological problems in girls. There's wealth of studies and articles and research, and I'm sure we all know this and we've heard this before. I'm not going to reel off figures. As much as mothers have a, a massive influence as well, but just in a different way. Fathers have a massive influence on us. And we've been all affected by our dads on this planet as well, of course, haven't we? But thankfully, we have a great big dad in God. Blows your mind. A great big dad we can relate to, who cares for us, who provides for us, who is there for us, and calls himself Father. He doesn't just call himself Lord on a throne and you've got to serve me. He tells us we're his children. It's mind-blowing. And that's what I want to look at this morning. What is he like? And how do we relate to that? He wants a bit more of that. He wants to know a bit more of how to relate to him as father. I know, I know. It affects us all, doesn't it? I've got some verses I want to look at. There'll be a lot of flicking through Bible. I apologise for that, but actually I think it's important we really try and get a good grasp of how extravagant our Father in Heaven is. But before we do that, I just want to explain a couple of things. The name Father, he calls himself Father. Jesus calls, himself, calls him Father. This is Jesus' favourite name for God the Father. He doesn't just call him Lord, call him King, he calls him Father. It's his favourite name for him. Over 160 times, depending on your translation, the number varies, but over 160 times in the Gospels, he calls him Father. Father this and Father that and my Father and your Father. Father, 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 Father. And then another favourite, an exceptional favourite, he calls him Abba. Abba, Father. It simply means Papa, Daddy. It's a, it's a beautiful mix of intimacy and reverence. It's not, oh, the old man. There might be intimacy there, but there's no reverence. And it's not Father, Children must be seen or not heard. Dear Father, that's all reverence but no intimacy. But Abba, Papa Daddy, is just, is just in awe of him and you're able to run and jump on his lap without asking. 
Isn't it beautiful? It's a beautiful picture. And Jesus calls him that. Calls him Abba Father. In Mark 14, verse 36, he says, Abba Father, not my will but yours. This is the time in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his arrest is about to happen. On that horrible Thursday evening, 2,000 years ago, he's about to be put on trial. He's about to be tortured horribly. He's about to be hung on a cross and die for you and me. And in that moment, he knows what's coming up. And he says, Abba Father, Papa Daddy, I need your help to get through this. But not my will, yours. There's intimacy and reverence. Abba, Father. There's something extra special about that name, isn't there? Turn to Romans 8, about halfway through the New Testament. Romans 8, verse 15. Page 1135 in the Blue Bibles, have you got them? Romans 8, 15. Jesus calls him Abba Father, calls him Papa Daddy. He's allowed to. Guess what? So are we. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba Father. Say it together again. Abba Father. Papa Daddy. You get to call him this at any moment of the day. He's not Abba Father at certain times of the day. He's Abba Father all the time. Not just when you have your quiet time. Not just on Sunday morning. At any moment you wake up in the night, he's Abba Father, Papa Daddy. When you get up for work, he's Papa Daddy. When you're at work, he's Papa Daddy. When you're playing with your kids, when you're watching TV, he's Papa Daddy. When you've slipped up, when you've sinned, he's still Papa Daddy. And you need to know that. We still need to talk to him when we slip up. But he's still Papa Daddy that never changes. If you are his through his son Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, you are his child and he never stops being your dad and you never need to stop calling him Papa Daddy. Ever. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, also known as adoption. There's something we need to understand about who Paul is writing to here. When I discovered this, this, this blew me away. The Hebrew mindset about adoption meant little or nothing to them. It was hugely unpopular, rare, if at all. It, it was just, why would you want to adopt someone who wasn't of your own blood? There may be something like a nephew gets orphaned, you bring them into your family, you look after them, community family. But to adopt someone as your own who isn't of your own seed was just unthinkable to them. It didn't make any sense. But the Romans, and Paul's writing to the, the Christians in Rome, the Romans had a very, very, very different mindset about adoption. They loved it. And what I love about it more than anything, it's legal, it is binding. And as much as you could disown a biological child, you are never, ever able to disown a child you've adopted. You cannot, could not, unadopt a child. You could disown one of your own biological children, but if you adopted another as your own, you can never unadopt them. You can never disown them. It's so binding, more so than the kids you've actually had naturally. It's amazing. They loved it. You were given a new name. You lost all your rights and responsibilities to your old family. And, you, and all debts and obligations to your old family were written off as if they never existed. 
You are a new creation. You are a new person with a new name. And that will never, ever, ever change. So when Paul writes to the Romans to say, you've been adopted by God the Father. Now do you see what they're thinking, what, they're, what, they're, what they picture when he says that? That can never change. You have, he's saying to them, you have a new name, a new family, a new father. It will never, never change. He will never let go of you. No matter how you feel about yourself, you are totally secure. You don't have to worry about your old life and any obligations. There might be expectations from there. It doesn't matter. They don't exist as far as he's concerned. He's yours forever. It's all written off. That's us. That's us. In our own right, we could never win him favour. We're marred by sin. And yet he made a way through his own son, Jesus, that that sacrifice, that penalty might be paid, that he can adopt us as new creations with a new name, no obligation to our old life. Isn't that amazing? That is us. You see, without him as father, we are not fatherless. The Bible in Ephesians 2 says we are children of wrath. And in John 8 says we are children of the devil. We are still influenced by someone or something else all the time. We're always influenced by something. There is a spiritual realm as much as there is just culture and media around us that just washes us. When people say you're brainwashing your child in Christianity, yes I am, because our brain's going to get washed by something else. It's true. You're always influenced, even if you don't realise it, you're influenced by ways of thinking, by advertising, by other people, by peers. And in the spiritual realm, that is a massive thing and it affects us hugely. And without God as Father, we do have a Father. We're under wrath, God's hatred of sin, and we're under the devil's influence. You're not fatherless, free to do what you want. You think you are, you're not. But when we are brought into his family through his son Jesus, all... Rights and responsibilities over there are cut off, but all any obligations and any debts that they might think we owe them are written off. You have a new name, you're a new creation, and that will never change, he will never disown you. That's adoption. And that's our extravagant father. I just want to spend a little while just looking at a few aspects of what God the Father looks like his character, and what he does for us. I could spend a whole morning on just that subject of adoption alone, but there's so many other things I want to feed in here. <laughs> Got to be careful not to do too much. I've just come up for now, this isn't a comprehensive list, I've come up with seven aspects of God as Father. That What, the, what would does the ideal Father look like? And here are some examples I've come up with, and we'll look at how God fulfills those in every way. The ideal father would look like this. He would be the source, the origin of life. He would birth us, he would give us a new name, adoption. He's the origin. That's the ideal dad. What else does the ideal dad look like? Secondly, he loves his child. hope that's obvious. He loves us. Thirdly, and I'll give some verses for each of these in a minute. Thirdly, he provides. I try to pro- provide for my daughter. Sometimes not enough as far as she's concerned. Can I have this, 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 this? But it's more than just stuff. It's providing time. 
It's providing care. It's providing attention. It's providing thoughts. It's providing decisions. Provision. Fourthly, he protects us. We protect my daughter. She thinks she knows best. She doesn't. And I need to protect her sometimes. Even toddlers, don't touch the fire. They'll still give it a go, wouldn't they? Sometimes you have to stop them. Protection. Fifthly, discipline. The ideal dad does discipline his child. We don't like the idea of discipline, do we? But it's actually a good thing. When a good dad, out of love, disciplines his child, it won't be abuse. It'll be very different. That's, that's fifthly, disciplines us. Six, his commitment. He's unwaveringly committed to us. He never goes, you know what, I've tried. Ain't working. He cannot and he will not disown you. Unwaveringly committed. And the last one for now, so we'll be here forever. Sacrifice. He gives of himself for us, his children. He's an extravagant God. Have you met any ideal dads? No. Strangely enough, no. See, the problem is, like I mentioned this before, the problem is our earthly experience of dads can really affect our understanding of father. This is proven time and time and time again. When people have trouble relating to God, they relate to him as a God who's always wagging his finger at them because they've got it wrong again. Tie it back, you see how they grew up. Or even a God who dotes on you and doesn't care what you do, you can relate it back to a, just a free-loving, liberal dad who just lets you get on with it and with no boundaries and no discipline and no nurturing, no protection. And it can actually affect your picturing of God. As soon as you say the word father, a certain picture in your head. But this is more than just us having a heavenly father who has a positive influence on us. This is more than just self-help theory. If you know you've got a good father in heaven, you'll be confident. Off you go. It's more than that. Because like I've already said, without him, we're not fatherless. Grown adults doing our own thing and we can decide if we want to step into the blessings he offers us. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about the fact that we are influenced by the world. We are influenced in our own personal sin, the darkest corners of our hearts. We are children of wrath, children of the devil. Without him, we're lost and we can't do anything about it. We can't save ourselves. We think we can, we try, by doing good works, or giving to charity, or survival of the fittest. Whatever worldview mindset you have about saving yourself, we try all sorts of things. We cannot save ourselves. More than just him being a great heavenly father who blesses us and loves us and makes us feel confident, this is about rescue. He has adopted us out of death, out of being lost forever, into his family forever, secured forever. That's what this means to know him as father. I saw a film last night called Machine Gun Preacher. True story about a preacher from, he's got quite a wayward past. He got saved, got a church going, and now he works, he keeps dropping in and out of um, Sudan and Uganda, dealing with these orphans of this civil war out there. Coney's, was he killed 400,000 people and then abducted 40,000 kids? And this guy, Sam, does what he can to help. It's a fascinating story, and there's always arguments about whether his way is the best way. But he just felt he, c- he couldn't not help. And he set up an orphanage. 
These kids aren't adopted yet, but they're safe and they're protected and they're free. They've been rescued. You add in adoption, assume, it hadn't, but assume Sam had adopted them as his own and would never disown them and live there with them permanently and they would be safe forever. Take it to another level. That's what God's done for us. He's rescued us from a civil war. That's what's going on around us. So let's look at these seven aspects of our God, what he's done in adopting, adopting us. It's not just about us feeling better. This is about recognising we are saved, we are rescued, we are adopted. First one, origin. Yes, he is the father of everyone in as much as he has created us all. The Bible says that. In one aspect, he is the father of mankind because he is the source. He originated us. He created us. Father, Son and Holy Spirit were all involved in creation. But there is another aspect to this. We've already touched on it already, but I need to reinforce this. Galatians 4 verse 6. Don't worry if you don't want to keep flicking to them because I'll read them out for you. But if you've got your Bibles, Galatians 4 6. Page 1170 in the Blue Bibles. Verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So I've already mentioned that he's given us the spirit of adoption that we might call him Papa Daddy. Yeah? But then you realise that it needs to be reinforced. It's not just the fact that we can. We need to remember that it's because of him we're able to. He's the source. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son There's the Trinity right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one verse. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Papa Daddy. It's because of him that we're able to. We were lost, we were unable to save ourselves. He rescues us, implants the Holy Spirit in us for life from death. And it's that Holy Spirit who works through us to go, Papa Daddy, I don't, I, don't, I don't let him do that enough. Does that make sense? I quash that and I'll bumble about and try and do life my own way and think I'm making the right decisions and getting on in my own strength. And I'm a grown-up. I need to work this out for myself. I'm not in, always in conversation with him and I should need to allow the Holy Spirit to work through me, to stir me, to go, Papa, Daddy, what do I do? Papa, Daddy, help me. Or sometimes, even better than that, Papa, Daddy, I love you. It's not always what we want. It should be about who he is. He initiates that. He's the origin. He is our source and he's given us a new name in his family. Second one, loves us. Romans 5, verse 5. Got the four Gospels, then Acts, then Romans. Page 1132, Romans 5, verse 5. Why does he do all this? Because God is love and he doesn't just love on a whim. First five says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, there is again, whom he has given us. Another reminder. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is about recognising his love. Who finds it hard to feel his love, to sense his love, to know his love? Anybody? People struggle with that sometimes. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help. If you're saved, he's in you. Ask for him to help you. 
And that's when we can testify in our hearts. You know, sometimes you try and explain to people why you believe in God. And there is evidence. Correct off loads. Evidence for the resurrection. Evidence in science. Evidence here, there and everywhere. But actually when it comes to it, sometimes we just have to say to them, I just know because I know. That is the Holy Spirit in you testifying in your hearts that God has poured his love into you. And if you don't feel that enough, just ask for it more. If you don't ask, don't get sometimes. Ask, ask, ask. The fact that you want to know more of that is a yearning in you by the Holy Spirit, I'd suggest. He loves us. Thirdly, he provides. 2 Peter 1, three. You're going to have sore thumbs by the end of this morning, aren't you? 2 Peter 1.3, this will be page 1222 in the blue books. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. How much does he provide? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. See, sometimes we ask for stuff when we don't get it. That verse says it's because we don't need it. See, sometimes we think we know better when we ask for things. That's fine, keep talking to him, that's all right. But his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Not just to survive, but for godliness, to grow, to change, to become more like our dad. Which is why sometimes we don't always get what we ask for. If I gave Amy everything she asked for, she wouldn't grow up right. She'd grow up spoilt. She'd grow up expecting more. She'd grow up discontent with everything she's got because she just always wants more. So she's never going to appreciate what she has got. She won't mature. She won't become responsible. It's me being a good dad saying no. It's my bank account saying no sometimes as well. But His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He provides for us. Next one, he protects us. This will be 2 Thessalonians 3.3. Just before Hebrews, you've got the Timothys and then you've got the Thessalonians. Again, it's about halfway through the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 will be on page 1190. Two Thessalonians three three. He protects us. Just a short one, but it's straight to the point. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We're not expected to go it alone, brothers and sisters. You're not on your own. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. When you feel an onslaught, when circumstances are building up, when you feel a sense of spiritual attack, when you need to push on through in stuff, when you don't feel the strength for things, ask him. He provides. He protects us. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one, recognising there is a spiritual battle out there. It's not just against life and it's a bit hard sometimes, or there's people out there we don't like or don't get on with. Thankfully, we don't live in a country where we have to deal with physical civil war. Some people do. But even in this 
and experience different kinds of hardships. But it doesn't just stop there. There is still, even if this country is relatively comfortable, there is still a spiritual realm out there. And I'd suggest it's more insidious because of that. We're blinder to it because we're not facing the kind of things that people face with Kony and etc. in Sudan, for example, and elsewhere. It's exacerbated in Woolwich this week. There is a spiritual realm going on. That was spiritually motivated. Regardless of which faith, who was standing for what and what religion, it's got nothing to do with that at the end of the day. That is a spiritual realm that is anti-God the Father. And that's how it comes out. It's from the sin in the heart of man. No matter who they represent, you've got to be careful to be anti-Muslim. Two people did that. 1.6 billion other Muslims didn't. You've got to be careful. But that exemplifies the heart of man regardless of their faith. There is a spiritual realm. And the devil is at work. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Keep coming back to him. 24-7. He's still Papa Daddy. Fifth one. He disciplines us. This is the one we don't like. Hebrews 12. Who likes discipline? Stick your hand up, you're a weirdo. (laughs) But this is more than ruling with a rod, getting the cane or the slipper. This isn't discipline in that respect. This is nurture. This is helping us grow. Hebrews 12, verse 7 and 10. We won't read the the whole passage for the sake of time. Hebrews 12, verse 7. It says, endure hardship as discipline. So when we face hardship, we need to embrace it. It's not easy. I don't mean that in a flippant manner. But the writers of the Hebrews are saying, endure it as discipline. God is using it for your good. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And they skip to verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. See, I'm, I'm still learning as a dad and I'm still getting it wrong. But now we're talking about a heavenly father who never gets it wrong. But God, continues, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He wants us to grow. He doesn't just want to adopt us as his children and then leave us stunted. He won't feed us right. He won't nurture us right. He'll let us get up to what we want to. It's all right, they're mine now. He cares about us so much. He is so interested in us. He wants us to grow. If ever you feel you're a rubbish Christian, if ever you're wondering what the point of it all is, just keep asking yourself the same question, am I growing? Are you growing compared to, don't go last week, you can't compare, but last year, five years ago, Am I growing as a Christian? And be encouraged. And if not, ask yourself why. Things may have happened and your response to it may not have been what he wanted your response to it to be. He works together, whatever we face, for our good, that we might grow and become more like him. He wants us, his family, to represent him. I'd hope Amy, when she's an adult, represents me as a dad. Often we say to people, you see children that are great, you say to the parents, they're a credit to you. God wants us us to do that for him. He wants us to grow because it's for our good. He disciplines us because he's nurturing us and he's helping us grow because he loves us. Number six, Philippians. 
page 1178. Philippians 1 verse 6. So remember, he can't disown you, he cannot unadopt you. Jesus says, no one will snatch us out of the Father's hand. If you're saved, you are always saved. Be confident in that. If the Spirit testifies in you that you are saved, if you declare him as Lord, if you've given yourself over to his Lordship, accept him as Papa Daddy who knows best. And it's through Jesus' work on the cross and not your good works that make that right, you are saved. It's as simple as that. And as profound as that. If you are his, you are his forever. And look at this. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he started it, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the day that Jesus comes to take us home. Then we won't need to grow anymore. We'll have grown will be revealed in full glory along with him, God's family together. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He ain't going to give up on you. Unwaveringly committed. Does that make a difference to your Thursday morning, to your Friday night, to your Sunday afternoon? I hope it does. One more on this list. Extravagant God. How is all this possible? Romans chapter 8. Here's his sacrifice. God is big enough. If you start at the universe, he's big enough to care for us, protect us, love us as much as he likes. How much does that cost him? It's hard to gauge, isn't it? He's a great big God. But here is cost because he cares about you so much. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. If you ever want to read an encouraging scripture where you need lifting, read Romans chapter 8. Read it and soak in it. But here in verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Everything I've already listed so far is proven and is concreted, is secure in the fact that he started it by giving us his son. See, get this. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, eternally together. Perfect unity, perfect community, the ultimate loving family before time began. God was willing to give of that. I can't quite get my head around that. He, was, he cared so much about us and about rescuing us. He didn't need to, but he loved us so much that while we can't save ourselves, he chose to save us. And in order to do that, to bridge that gap between perfect God and sinful man, Jesus took our place. Jesus willingly gave of himself. Julian will be focusing on this more in a couple of weeks. The Father willingly gave of his Son. Sacrifice. That is love that pays a price that we might live. Eternal God gave of himself to willingly be tortured and killed in utter darkness, wearing our sin upon his shoulders. That stench. That sacrifice. And that is how much he loves you, Bev, Peggy, 
Julian, Sue. That is how much he loves you. Eternal God gave of himself to rescue you. There is an extravagant God. There is an extravagant Father. There is a God who is spendthrift, who is generous, who pays way above normal levels. It cost him much. He is the ultimate God. He's the ultimate source. He gives us a name for eternity. He loves us beyond compare. He provides and protects and disciplines and nurtures us more than we ever actually see or acknowledge or are aware of. There's a lot going on behind the scenes as well. He's unwaveringly committed to you forever. And it's all because he gave of himself to win you over. And that's why I've got this clock here. Question I have to keep asking myself. How much time do I spend with my dad? Not enough. When I think how much he has done for me, I disrespect him sometimes. I'm not just talking about what time you get up in the morning and how long you read your Bible for and go through your prayer journal or or whatever you do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that he's Papa Daddy (laughs) 24-7. How much do I acknowledge that? Yes, it is about spending quality time with him in the mornings or at the end of the day or whatever works for you. That might be a quarter of an hour, might be four hours, I don't know. But it's the everyday walk. When I'm driving, when I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm with my family, when I'm on my own, how much am I just hanging out with my papa daddy, just talking with him, just enjoying his presence, rather than only going to him when I want something? Oops. That's just what I want you to walk away with today. This isn't a legalistic thing. This isn't jotting down the hours and working out how much more percent you could give. Just ask the question, how much time do you spend with Papa Daddy? Just recognising who he is. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word, lavish. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Through Jesus, you are a child of God. One more question. Do you know him as your father? Have you welcomed him into your life? More importantly, have you allowed yourself to step into his? Recognising the sin in your heart, the darkness, the fact that you can't save yourself. In fact, there are aspects of your life you'd rather not tell people about. We've all got that. But knowing that you are loved beyond compare, so much that he gave of himself, and he lavishes that love on us, and it's available for all of us. If you haven't done that, please don't hesitate. There is a great big papa daddy out there who wants to welcome you into his family, to adopt you forever. Eternity for this family. Utter joy, utter peace, utter love forever with no shame and no sin, no death. 
It's available right here, right now. If you don't know him as your father, please come and speak to one of us after. We'd love to spend time talking it through with you. See, a Christian is simply someone who has God as their father. That's what it boils down to. The word Christian just means a little Jesus. It was a derogatory nickname given us believers 2,000 years ago, shortly once the church had started. Look at those Christians, those little Jesuses. It was a nickname of derision. We embraced it. Yes, we are. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus and we are children of the great big father, great big papa daddy. We are Christians, that's what it means. To be a Christian means to have God as their father. So Tim Keller says this, For a child of God, there is a confidence and boldness in every day. Do we all feel like that? Not always. But believe this, the more we soak in this truth, the more we dwell on this, the more we remind ourselves, the more we spend time with him, we recognise this. And this is true. The more I've spent time with him, I've recognised more of this in my life. For a child of God, there is a confidence and boldness in every day. We don't walk in fear of anyone or anything. Our father owns the place. That's what it means to be a Christian. Do you know that? Do you know that? I'm just going to leave it here. There's that song we sing, a beacon, homegrown song, God Loves You. He is outstanding, unchanging. How does it end? The best father a child could ever dream. That's who he is. It's a kid's song. No, it's not. It's a grown-up song. It's an adult song. He's the best father a child could ever dream. That's who he is to you if you're one of his already. That's who he can be to you if you don't know him yet. Let's pray. Father, you are an extravagant Father, you are so generous beyond what we can even see or understand. Lord, we just say thank you for what you've done for us. We say thank you, Jesus, that you gave yourself that we might be welcomed into your family. You are hungry to share your inheritance with us, Jesus. The inheritance of the Father, you wanted to spread it around, not keep it for yourself. It's amazing. We say, Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit that we might know you. But truly know you with a capital K. That we might know you as Father, not just know about you. Help us, each one of us here, to know you more. Help us to spend time with you. During our every days, during the night, in the quiet moments more importantly in the busy moments too that you are our papa daddy we can come to you at any moment the door to your office is always open (laughs) and we thank you so much if there's anybody here who struggle with knowing him as father can you just raise your hand I'd love to pray for you Lord, whoever's raised their hand right now, I pray you just instill in them a deeper sense of your fatherhood, of your care, your protection, your love, overwhelming, unwavering commitment over them. Help them 
to know you more. Help them to see you for who you are. Even supernaturally, do away with the old mindset of what a father looks like. Help them to embrace the truths in your word. That they might walk with a lighter step, knowing that they are yours and you own the place. We thank you that they're a child of God, but help them to know you more. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know him as father, if you'd like him to be, we've got our eyes closed, if you'd like him to be, lift your hand up. Sometimes it's about making a step. If you want to know him as dad, lift your hand up. And I'd love to pray for you. No one else is looking. Lord, you know who's got their hand up and I pray by your Holy Spirit, pour into them a fresh revelation of you, a fresh understanding of you as Father, a fresh understanding of what Jesus has done. I pray for that person. They might pray this with me. Lord, I am a sinner. And I need you. I'm dead without you. I need your rescue. That only you can provide through Jesus. Taking my place on that cross with my sin on his shoulders. That I might live. Holy Spirit come into my heart. And reveal to me in increasing measure. What it means to be a child of God. Safe and secure forever forgiven forever, able to come to Papa Daddy always and forever. Come and find me afterwards, that'd be great. Lord, thank you that you are an extravagant father. We're so grateful and help us increasingly to spend more time with you in our everyday lives because you're worth it, because you've rescued us, because you've saved us. We thank you, Lord. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Please do stay for.